Welcome to the Veterinary Career Services Podcast, a show for veterinarians, veterinary specialists, and hospital management. Join industry expert and president of VCS, Laura Anderson, as she interviews seasoned and accomplished veterinarians that share their paths and provide insights that can help professionals achieve their career goals. Today I am speaking with Dr. Dan Stoby, who is the Chief of Staff of North Star Vets, which has two locations in Robbinsville, New Jersey, and Mapleshade, New Jersey. Dr. Stoby went to veterinary school at the University of Missouri, then completed an internship in small animal medicine and surgery at the Angel Memorial Hospital in Boston, and then completed a surgical residency at the University of Minnesota. After his residency, Dr. Stoby headed surgical service at AMC for two years and then joined a specialty hospital in New Jersey as a staff surgeon. In 2000, he formed Veterinary Surgical and Diagnostic Specialist, which was a mobile surgical and ultrasound practice. This grew into what we know today as North Star Vets, which is a nationally recognized full service veterinary emergency trauma and specialty center providing 24-7 care. It remains a privately owned hospital with its own unique culture. The hospital has over 55 veterinarians and a large staff of technicians to support this team. North Star boasts a higher than average support staff to, to doctor ratio and is respected throughout the country as one of the best for referring veterinarian satisfaction. So Dr. Sobey, thank you so much for speaking with me today on this podcast. You're welcome. Many veterinarians enjoy learning about their colleagues' career paths and their current hospitals. And for the younger doctors, it can be a source of guidance and inspiration. Uh, so my first question would be, did you always know you wanted to be a veterinary surgeon and to own a large specialty hospital? No, I did not. I just wanted to be a small animal veterinarian. And when I went to veterinary school, I didn't even know that there were specialties in veterinary medicine that I could be a specialist. But I was always intrigued by surgery when I worked for the veterinarians that I worked for in high school and college. And so when I found out I could do just surgery, that was very appealing to me. And I decided to uh, pursue that as a, as a career. And so how did it transition from a mobile surgery ultrasound practice to a facility? Well, I had worked at um, a couple of different uh, practices before I started my own. And I realized that there were things about how I wanted to practice and, and, you know, treat clients and patients uh, a certain way that I felt, I guess I eventually had to break off on my own to do things the way I felt they should be done and, and how I wanted to practice. So at the time I still was paying back student loans. I didn't have a lot of money because uh, I had to put myself through college and vet school. So I was not able to open a, a freestanding building. So to get started as a surgeon, to start a mobile practice was the cheapest entry point for me. So I just bought 
a lot of surgical equipment and an autoclave. I actually had it in the garage of my house. And I went around to the general practices in the area and did surgery for them. I also uh, did a master's degree in, in radiology and anesthesia. So I did have some ultrasound experience and that was a big market demand for that. So I had a portable ultrasound machine. So that's kind of how I got started uh, doing those two things for the, the general practitioners in my area. And for how many years did you do that? I did that for about three years. And as I was doing that, I, I realized that I wasn't using a lot of my, I was only using about 20% of my training as a surgeon because there's only certain things you can do on the road and in other people's practice. So some of the more advanced procedures like total hip replacements or portosystemic shunt ligations or some of the more critical patients that needed around-the-clock care, I was not able to do those procedures. And I did, you know, I was young enough in my career that I didn't want to give that up. <laughs> so that's when I found a local emergency clinic that let me lease space from them part-time. And since they had the emergency service there, I was able to do day practice out of there during the day and had their doctors and staff be able to watch my cases on the overnight. After being there, um, that emergency clinic got bought by a corporation and they uh, basically gave me three months to vacate to vacate the premises so I had th I only had three months to find a, a building uh, and get it fitted out so that to have my move my practice to so that was a little bit of a anxiety producing time and I found this very tiny building kind of in the middle of nowhere that was very cheap um, and I leased it and we built it out. And that's where the practice started from was a 4,000 square foot building. And how many employees did you start with? It was just myself. And um, I had about four or five technicians and one or two receptionists. Mm -hmm. And what was the specialist that you hired? Um, <clears throat> I hired another surgeon part-time and we had a dermatologist that uh, started working for us part-time. And then after being in there about a month, um, we hired three emergency doctors to do the overnights. And then it just kind of grew from there. By the time we left that building, which was eight years later, we had about 100 people working out of 4,000 4, square feet with one bathroom. So that was uh, tight quarters. And is that when you moved into your current facility? Yeah. So then during that time, we... You know, the practice grew very quickly. In about a year and a half, we had outgrown the space. So we started looking for property to build a bigger hospital. And by the time we found the land, got the approvals, built the building, at least in our state, <clears throat> that's not a quick process. It took about six years from start to finish. And um, we moved into our, um, it's a 33,000 square foot, our main hospital building. Uh, we moved in there in 2011. And then in 2015, we opened um, our satellite office in Maple Shade. And now we're getting ready to open um, our third location, which is a 10,000 square foot building in Brick, New Jersey, which is on the Jersey Shore. And that'll be open on March 30th of this year. So you mentioned when you were first talking and you were in mobile practice and you, there were some things you wanted to do differently. Have you incorporated those into your mission statement or overall philosophy for North Star? Yeah, definitely. And our, I mean, our mission statement is to improve the quality of life for um, 
our clients, our patients, and our staff. And so everything we do kind of revolves around around that. We want it to be good for all three of those and our referring vets. And is that something that all of your employees espouse? Yeah, we have our, our mission, our core values, our vision statement, and you know we go over those pretty regularly at every staff meeting. We'll usually present something on one of the core values, and we try to keep that as a front of mind awareness for all the employees because it is important, and a lot, all of our decision making really is based on, on, on those principles. And when you're interviewing candidates for either a specialist position or a technician position, are there certain traits you are looking for? Yep. We, we definitely go over the core values. Um, and when I first started the practice, I used to select, you know, solely based on ability and credentials and not so much on, on people skills or personality. But now, having gone full circle, it's just the opposite. Um, we select really more for somebody who's a team player and a good fit and is going to, um, you know, be kind and, and helpful to the rest of the staff. I, I say now that we can usually train somebody to be a good technician or a good doctor, but we cannot train somebody to be a nice person. So my focus has shifted more towards the personality um, and less so based on the credentials. So what does a typical day look like in your hospital? We only do specialty and emergency work. We don't do any general practice. So um, all of our doctors are either board certified in a specialty of veterinary medicine or we have experienced uh, intern trained emergency veterinarians. And we round as a group every morning at 8 o'clock, go through all the cases in the hospital, take any transfers from the emergency service from the overnight. And then we will either uh, usually start uh, seeing appointments or doing procedures at about 9.30 in the morning. And, you know, we, we work on that all day. And then as a group, again, we round at 6 p.m. with the overnight doctor that's coming on duty so they know about all the cases in the hospital. Got it. So that's when the patients are transferred. Yep. And what have you found over the years to be your biggest challenges of hospital ownership? Um, I would say probably what everybody said. I mean, the biggest challenge is probably the management of people. Um, that's, I think, everybody's biggest challenge is you know, the human resource side of things, you know, your staff is your most valuable asset, but it's also the, the thing that probably gives you the most headaches and demands the most amount of your time. So um, that w I would say is the biggest challenge. And you, do you have a human resources department? We do. We have a human resources manager and then an assistant, um, that keeps track of, you know, staff development and training and where they're at in the, you know, in their progression as an employee here. And I noticed in some of your literature that you mention student debt repayment as one of your benefits. When did you initiate that? I initiated that um, last January, so January of 2019. You know, I, I had noticed that with the younger doctors coming out, that the student loan uh, issue was such a huge stress and burden for them. And I didn't really understand the magnitude of it until I did a survey. 
of our doctors and out of the, you know, 45 plus doctors that we have here, I would say about um, 30 of them filled it out. And I would assume it's the younger doctors that still have student debt. And I was just blown away by um, not only the amount of total debt they have, but the monthly payments and the years of repayment and the interest rates that they had. And I felt like it was, um, you know, it was occupying so much of their their brain time um, and causing so much stress for them during the day that we had to kind of tackle it um, kind of head on. So I'm also using it as a recruitment and retention tool because it's been challenging to get to you know hire new specialists and to get them to stay. And we're in a state that doesn't have a veterinary school. That makes it a little bit more challenging, I think. So the way we do it is we, after a year of employment, and we also wanted certain goals of the hospital to be achieved if we were going to offer this benefit. So um, if after, after a year of employment, if they meet the criteria to get the benefit, and I go over that in a second, but, um, we pay $100 a month directly to their student loan provider, and that amount goes up every year that they're employed. So the first year, it's $100 a month. Second year, it's $200 a month. Third year, it's $300 a month, and so on, up to kind of caps out at 10 years where they get $1,000 a month paid directly to their student loan provider. It, you know, some of the things that I, that I was not happy about, it's, it's, it doesn't lower their monthly payment. Uh, but it lowers their principal. So I was hoping it would lower their monthly payment to take some of that stress off, but it doesn't. Um, it, but it brings their principal down much more quickly so that um, they're not paying it for as long. Um, it is taxable to the employee and to us, which I was disappointed about, but there's no way mm -hmm. to get around that. Right now it's considered income, and hopefully you know, I've been on some committees with the AVMA that they're trying to to lobby to change that, um, and hopefully that will get changed like other benefits like health insurance or, or a 401k that are not considered income. Um, but even just paying $100 a month towards somebody's student loan takes off about two and a half years of repayment um, on average. So, um, And a lot of the doc younger doctors have this thing that if they pay the minimum amount, that, that it'll be forgiven and they won't they won't have to pay it after so many years but what they don't realize is that even if their loan is forgiven so if somebody if the government forgives you know let's say a $250,000 loan um there's that's considered income and they're going to get taxed on that and they're still going to have to pay $80,000 in taxes approximately so then they got to save for that so you know, we're encouraging them to pay their loans down and, and we're helping them do that. And what I what I found was um, it definitely relieved a lot of their stress. Um, some of the things that we wanted was they had to be an employee in good standing, have a good review. Um, we obviously are a referral practice. So we want them to attend referring vet events and, and establish relationships with them. So there's a certain number of those that they have to attend to get the benefit. Um, they have to mentor some of the visiting students. They have to work full time. They have to make their production. So those were the criteria that we established for them to qualify for the benefit. And a uh, majority of them did. And it's been a very positive thing. It's, it's, um, I definitely feel like the uh, stress in the hospital or their concern is, is you know, that, that, that cloud that was weighing on them has been lifted. And um, 
we also have not had to spend one of the other requirements they had to cover their service and another staff's staff member's absence because I'd rather give the money to them than pay per diem and our per diem costs have gone down significantly so the benefit has really kind of covered that um, and helped save the practice money and improve the culture which I'm happy about so far so it's a win-win so far it's been it, it has been a win-win um, there has not been any downside to it um, and so we are continuing it again this year and hope to continue it indefinitely. Mm -hmm. I see it with this benefit with some of my clients, but I think it's still on the early side. It's a tremendous benefit. I agree. And, and I know other practices that, you know, if, if they um, stay a certain number of years and they pay it all out at once in one lump sum payment. But what I have seen is that people kind of stay, even if they're not happy, and they do it just to get that money at the end. And then as soon as they get it, they leave. And I did not want that for us, which is why we have it, you know, pay it out during the course of the year, monthly, directly to their student loan provider. And that way, if they do, if they're not happy or they choose to leave, then, you know, there's not this lump sum that we're paying. And then the person's gone. And it gives them incentive to see. I mean, a lot of them have commented that when they get their student loan bills, you know, they see that money, their principal coming down much more quickly than it was before. And I think that that's a good motivator or incentive for them. Absolutely. I would think so. Yeah. So you, we've talked about your hospital culture and espousing the core values, this benefit. What else do you do there to um, engage your technicians, your specialists? Um, we have events during the year to get everybody together, um, you know, that are not necessarily educational, but more for fun to try to get everybody together as a group and spend time together outside of work. We also have different contests during the year to, uh, you know, like at, 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 at Halloween, we have a pumpkin carving a pumpkin decorating contest that the different departments participate in, some friendly competition. And then we auction those off um, to clients for money that, that goes to the foundation that helps people that can't afford veterinary care. We do the same thing with holiday wreath decorating around, around the uh, winter holidays. Um, so we do different things like that, that I think promotes, you know, a fun environment as well instead of it just being you know all work and and education and, and medicine mm -hmm. are there specific charities that north star supports well we work with a lot of um obviously rescue groups and shelters and things like that but we have our own internal foundation that was started uh by the staff during the recession many years ago because so many animals are being euthanized that had fixable problems because uh, people couldn't afford to get them taken care of. And it was a real, um, it's very demoralizing for the staff, um, got them all very depressed because they were working so hard and coming to work every day and not being able to take care of these animals. So that was started by, by them many years ago and it's still going on and, and it allows people to get grants for pets that have uh you know fixable problems where the client just can't afford to do it and there's some again criteria that has to be met showing financial need with a income tax statement or disability statement or social security statement 
And if they qualify for a grant, it usually gives the person enough that they can get their, you know, they don't give them all the money because they want the client to have some, some skin in the game and some responsibility, but it usually is enough that they can get the pet taken care of. That's tremendous. And I'm sure that did so much to improve employee morale. Definitely. Because, you know, our one of the things is, you know, as everybody knows in veterinary medicine, the doctors nor the technicians do it for the money. I mean, people do it really for their love of the animals and the people attached to them. And so when they're not able to do that, it's really hard to come to work every day and, and you know, just have that day after day. Um I don't think anybody, you know, we always get sad when animals euthanize because, you know, their time has come and and that's hard enough. But when it's fixable problems, like a puppy with a fracture or, you know, something like that, and and the animal's just getting euthanized because surely due to economic reasons, that makes it really difficult to, uh, that was really hard on the staff. And so... Being able to do that really uh, was a big morale booster for everyone. Absolutely. And I think the fact that your hospital created that is another benefit on top of it. Yeah, and it's still it's still in effect. And, you know, the doctors like that because especially, well, all the, all the departments, but I think emergencies the most where, you know, something comes in, mm-hmm. not referred off the street. And many of the times, you know, those are usually things that are, somewhat catastrophic or even an animal that has a foreign body that's a clearly fixable problem and it's somebody that doesn't have the resources to do the surgery and so nobody wants to put an animal to sleep just for financial reasons. Right. So looking back, Dr. Stobie, what are some of the proudest moments of your career? I think probably the proudest moment is when um, like our our hospital had the the building had won the vet economics award for you know you know best referral hospital which which was a proud moment but that's really about just the building and the design of it and we have you know all of our facilities are 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 beautiful and well designed but i think the proudest moment was when we won the aha referral practice of the year in 2013 um, because that really speaks more to the medicine and the business and the culture of the practice and winning that as the best referral practice in the country was probably definitely one of the highlights of my career. I'm sure that's a tremendous award. And now we've done some uh, clinical trials at the hospital and, and seeing our people present those at national meetings uh, of some new and innovative things that, that definitely is making me very proud of our staff. And so what's on the horizon for North Star? Uh, that's a good question. Well, we're opening this new satellite office, so that is taking up a lot of time and brain power at the moment. And um, we're adding a radiation therapy center. Um, and beyond that, um, just you know, our, we try to focus on just specialty and emergency medicine, and not you know, it, it can be very easy to try to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. So that's why we don't do general practice or house calls or um, lots of other avenues, which it can be very tempting to try to get into multiple businesses. But I think uh, focusing on just those few areas that we do really, really well and sticking to that has been, you know, the key to our, our success and not diluting um, our energy too much, but just being great at, at specialty and emergency medicine and not trying to do a million different things like with, you know, 
transforming diets or supplements or doing house calls or traveling stuff or because you can you know it's very tempting to 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 get into all these different business models and and do them all but not be good at really any one thing so did you say your radiation therapy is at the robbinsville location that's going to be added at the robbinsville location that's really where uh that's the big hospital it's like the hub for everything where you know, and anything and everything can get done there. The satellite offices offer probably about 80 to 90% of the services, but some of the larger things like total hip replacements or uh, MRI, some of the advanced imaging, arthroscopy, those have to be done at the, at the large hospital. Got it. Well, thank you, Dr. Stobie. Well, I appreciate you asking me to talk to you today. Absolutely. I love talking to hospital owners and veterinary specialists and learning about their careers and what they're up to. And again, many of your colleagues really enjoy learning and listening as well. I'm always willing to help other people because I think we can learn a lot from each other and, you know, the years of experience. And I find that, you know, going to talking to other veterinarians and just hearing how they tackle different problems in their practice or their business has probably been better than any of the lectures that I've ever gone to. Um, I would agree from what I hear from my clients, the camaraderie of the other hospital owners, the support they receive. And, you know, as a group, we're a, a pretty innovative and, and smart group of people. So hearing how another veterinarian tackled or solved a problem, you know, people come up with some very uh, clever and innovative ways and things that, things that you would never think of. And so learning from their experience is always a great way to implement new ideas. Okay. Well, great. Thank you so much. No problem. Anytime. Good talking okay. to you. You too. Thank you, Dr. Stoby. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to ensure you never miss an episode. For feedback, questions, discussion topic requests, or if there is anything we can do for you, feel free to contact us at laura at vetcareerservices.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Veterinary Career Services Podcast. <laughs>